Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. This is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I am joined today by a very special guest. It is Ken McCusick. I hope I'm saying that correctly, Ken, who is covers the Ravens uh, for Ravens Film Study. FilmStudyBaltimore.com is the website and obviously does a lot of great film work covering these Baltimore Ravens. And Ken, I got to say, this is probably my most enjoyable matchup to break down every single season because Baltimore just does so many interesting things on both sides of the football, both offensively and defensively, that I wrote 3,000 words about this game today because there's just so much to so much to unpack with both of these schemes. It must be a lot of really fun to watch every single week. Definitely is both on the, you know, definitely the offense is completely scheme driven in terms of what they do with Lamar and have they have to continually need to fold in new wrinkles. And we might get into this a little bit to continually fool the opponent. And then on defense, a very scheme driven pass rush, uh, not does not have a lot of one on one winners, particularly with with Campbell out uh, and, and they'll rely heavily on scheme, I think, to, to uh, get pressure against the Patriots. Yeah, Patriots fans might recognize some of Baltimore's pressure schemes on defense. They're not exactly the same as the Patriots' amoeba fronts and cover zero blitzes and things like that, but the the amoeba fronts in particular that Baltimore uses are very similar to what we've seen with Bill Belichick in the past, where you just have a bunch of guys standing up near the line of scrimmage, and then some guys drop, some guys rush, and the quarterback and the offensive line and the receivers are kind of left to decipher who's going where and when after the snap. So a lot of thinking involved with Don Martindale's system after the snap, which often, you know, presents pause, definitely causes some issues for opposing offenses. So we'll definitely get into that as well. But I want to start with Lamar because he's Lamar and he's awesome. And I think the biggest thing with this is, first of all, everybody in New England, and I'm sure everybody in Baltimore can remembers that game last year and the 210 rushing yards that Baltimore had on the Patriots in the blowout victory, it was a lot of gap read runs early on in that game. They did incorporate some of their zone stuff as well. But I guess the question really is, is as a Baltimore fan and Baltimore observer looking at this Patriot team, it must feel like a really juicy matchup for the Ravens to get their running game, really. Uh, that's, that's going all the time, but th- this should be a good matchup for Baltimore to run the football, you would think. I hope so. It, you know, it's uh, struggles on the interior line so far this year. The Ravens have just realigned their tackles with the loss of Ronnie Stanley for the season. Uh, so far, that's worked out very well with 
Brown on the left side has not had a pass rush event surrendered in 121 snaps. They are now as I score it. And on the right side, DJ Fluker has come in and played very well. Uh, he hadn't played tackle in a long time, uh, in the NFL. Certainly not, not regularly since 2014. So it's nice to have that happen and it's nice to, to be able to, uh, give a, a favorable matchup to a, an interior offensive line that hasn't been terrific this year. Uh, Matt Skura at center is, is returning, but he's coming off an injury and really hasn't played as well as he did last year in, in total. Uh, at, at right guard, they've rotated through some younger players. Tyree Phillips is now on IR and the, uh, uh they're, they're currently going with, um, McCary who is a Patrick McCary is a kind of a short armed right guard, not ideal for opening the front gate on the Ravens primarily right-handed run game. Right. And so the, the one thing I wanted to ask you about with this running game, because I just mentioned, you know, there are all the reasons in the world to think that they'll be able to run on the Patriots. The Patriots defense currently 31st in DVOA against the run. They don't have very many defensive linemen that are holding up well inside. Their edge is getting blown often. Their off-ball linebackers are a mess. And this early down defense for New England has really been problematic. And on top of all that, they don't have the depth in the front seven to be a heavy personnel type of team to play in like a base defense or something like that. So they play a lot of dime and nickel defense, which should invite a lot of things. But you mentioned some of the moving parts on the offensive line. They're also a little bit thinner at tight end than we're accustomed to, I would say. And last year, those three tight end packages with Boyle and Hurst and then uh, Ricard, I guess it's really 22 personnel because Ricard's kind of a fullback. Those packages did really well against the Patriots, but from what I can understand, Baltimore hasn't really been able to have that kind of flexibility to run that package this year as much. No, they they don't have a third tight end. So Andrews and Boyles are still or Boyle are still two of the primary targets, particularly in play action. And we saw Boyle, in fact, get much more involved in the offense in the second half against Indianapolis. So that was good to see. Uh, they don't have uh, the best pair of hands on the team anymore, which was Hayden Hurst. They traded him to Atlanta. Uh, they've tried to use the entire year Patrick Ricard as the third tight end slash fullback instead of having a third tight end plus Ricard. And they used a lot of, of 13 personnel formations where they used all three tight ends last year. So uh, it's a little, they're a little bit undermanned. They did pick up, they're sorry, they're working out another tight end this week. There's uh, a former guy from Seattle, Luke Wilson. They also yeah. have uh, another Sean Culkin they've been protecting on the practice squad. Got it. Yeah, so that that was my sort of takeaway is that, on the one hand, it definitely sets up for the Ravens to be able to run the football in this game. But on the other hand, they don't quite have the beef up front and the multiplicity with the tight ends that they've had, especially in 2019, which really hurt the Patriots last year. The other thing, just looking at this Ravens offense, has been the regression in the passing game, which has hit them pretty hard. They, I think a lot of people don't know this because they think of them as a run-first football team. But last year, they were one of the best passing attacks in the NFL. And that was just as much about their success as passing the football as it was running the football this year it really hasn't been the case as much and and what have you seen out of Lamar in this passing attack that's led to some of these issues everything runs through Lamar and his ability to be a threat in the run game so if the Ravens are going to threaten the entire field they need to be able to threaten a run by Lamar somewhere which freezes players allows time for the mesh point itself 
to create additional opportunity. Just a lot of people don't, don't think of it this way maybe, but that's the time in which the mesh is minutely delaying the handoff there really allows those double teams to take effect and also allows linebackers to take extra read steps and bite on play action. So it's a, that's a big part of the Ravens' offense and how they separate that, and then Lamar's ability to pull the football uh, is very good. Now, they didn't do much last year. It's only a handful of plays where they actually pulled the football on play action. They're doing uh, – sorry, and passed the ball. They're doing more of that this year, and they're doing more of it from a sidecar formation as opposed to a pistol formation. So it's usually a front-facing play action in the mesh and pull it and throw uh, read that Lamar's making. Got it. So if you're going to look at this Ravens passing attack, we obviously know about Mark Andrews, and I'm sure Bill Belichick's going to have something up his sleeve for for Andrews, whether it's a cornerback on him like a J.C. Jackson or a Stephon Gilmore or double teams, bracket coverage, whatever the case may be. But who outside of Andrews do you think is the next guy? You know, is it Hollywood Brown? Is it Boinkin? Uh, Sneed even? Who, who's the guy that they have to shut down outside of Andrews with all the coverage being focused likely on him? Boinkin is the, uh, is the guy I would like to say it was, but he's really much more of a run blocker and they have not at all made full use of his talent this year. He's definitely a guy that, uh, they have not gotten into and deep patterns, and Lamar had just, just does not have the trust with him he has with Hollywood, who, grew, who he grew up with. And Hollywood, a uh, uh, much more dangerous receiver to, to get free anyway. There's been some complaints. You guys have probably heard them the last two weeks. First Brown, then Jackson, talking about how the, the Ravens' offense is too predictable. And a lot of that really, I think, boils down to Lamar would like to take more deep shots from the pocket than they have so far this year. And, uh, you know, there have been various rumblings already about him hearing the opposing defense calling out the play yeah, in advance from across the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because on the one hand, I keep on saying on the one hand, but regardless, on the one hand, I, I, we're, we're used to hearing stuff like that, right? You know, smart defensive players, especially over the years. And in Baltimore, for example, you know, Ray Lewis or Ed Reed or any of those guys – I'm sure they've called out plays too in the past based off the formation or whatever. And we here in New England, we hear Stefan Gilmore talk a lot about knowing sort of having an idea of what the play might be or the route might be that the receiver is running based off of alignment and formation and all that down and distance, all that kind of stuff. So sometimes I think that's a little bit overblown, but now that Baltimore's had multiple people come out and say this, and then also looking back in the early part of the decade, the 2010, 2011 season, when Greg Roman was in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick, his scheme sort of got figured out there to a degree as well, and he never really adjusted out of it. And now he's kind of got, you know, Lamar, he's got this sports car that's kind of revitalized his his career as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator. But there hasn't, again, you know, now that teams are adjusting to this scheme, it doesn't feel like Roman's done enough to adjust. So I wonder if this is sort of a pattern that we're seeing with Greg Roman as an offensive coordinator is that – when he comes at you year one, year two of that system and catches teams by surprise and does some things differently than other teams do around the league and maybe run some things from the college game that teams aren't used to seeing, it's one thing. But then when in a full off season, when you have a whole kind of, you know, plethora of tape to look at, things like that, 
his scheme sometimes gets a little bit figured out. I mean, have you seen Roman make adjustments? I mean, can we point to things that, or can you point to things, I should say, where you say, okay, you know, that's a little bit of a wrinkle or that's something different that they haven't done before, or are they as predictable as some of the players I've been talking about? Okay, they're definitely different from last year in terms of the plays they run. And and the, the first thing I'd point to is that they ran the pistol some extraordinary percentage of the time. In fact, it was more than all the other NFL teams combined. But it was something like 40-some percent of the time for all of last year. This year, I've even been lamenting that they're not running enough pistol, that that's part of really the problem. They're running the sidecar. I don't think it's as effective, first of all, and it also puts Lamar at more risk because his runs typically go up the middle or often go up the middle, I'll say. So I am I think there are differences in the offense. Uh, there's differences certainly in personnel, and the loss of Marcel Yanda is a, is, a, is a big deal. The loss of Ronnie Stanley is a big deal now, even though it's just recent. Um, the offensive line is not as good, and that's a that's a – Significant problem. They're still above average run and pass block win rate for this team, for this league, which is should be good enough, given Lamar, to still have a good offense. What it's not going to probably create is the historic offense that they had last year. Uh, they had, what, the fifth highest points per drive in NFL history last year. So it's, right. you know, it's, it's not, that's going to be very hard to replicate. Uh, and, you know, the, What's kind of made it even worse is that the league has gotten even more scoring happy this year. Yeah, and, and what have you seen out of Lamar? Because I remember watching in week three against Kansas City at a primetime game, which was a great game, but Lamar got blitzed a ton in that game, a lot of zero pressure from Kansas City, and it didn't look like at that point in time that he had a ton of answers, not only for him himself, but also just out of the route combinations that they were running based off of the way they were calling the defense. There wasn't a whole lot of hot reads or outlets to get the ball out of his hand quickly. I think sometimes, you know, he's almost his own hot read, right? Because if you come yes. at him with a blitz with man coverage, then he can just take off and run. So there is that element to it. But Kansas City did a nice job of containing him, coming up the middle at him, forcing him to flush out to the left or right, and then containing him on the edge. So how have you seen the Ravens adjust? How have you seen Lamar adjust to blitzes? Because he's still grading out in PFF system and, and just in terms of, you know, passer rating and stuff like that pretty poorly against the bliss versus what he did last year. Again, maybe pressure stats are often, you know, up one year, down another, and, and circumstances around the quarterback have a lot to do with that. But it, what have you seen out of Lamar in terms of handling pressure so far? So he definitely has not been as good at handling pressure. And, and I'll say more than that, I think there have been comments made that Lamar's difference in Lamar's performance is almost all due to the difference in the empty formation and yeah. how successful he's been from either of those in in the two years uh, with the empty formation. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the the thing that they tried to do a lot with Lamar last year was actually run five vertical routes and not four. So four verts, very common NFL play, uh, has four people, four of your outside receivers running deep routes, but it usually is paired up with one check down route from a running back, typically who's a late release from the backfield or or even a uh, you know a short swing pass to the right or left. Well, the Ravens don't even necessarily use that that fifth receiver in that way, but that that does create some scary situations where the uh, you know Lamar may have to make a play with his own legs, and uh, he's been sacked a lot more than he was last year. I think he's confident in his own ability to run. He doesn't throw the ball away as much. We saw a lot last year of him running back 15 yards and then throwing the ball away, which is a it's a 
you know, very useful technique when you can do it. This year he's taking, he's taken a couple of long sacks and his total sack yardage is almost already more than what he took last year for the entire year. So, um, the, the big stat that supports the phenomenon that, that you brought up to start this point was that Lamar was had a historic forced not to pass number. That's a statistic of my own device, but, but anybody could calculate it. it. It combines the scrambles and the sacks as times when you do not pass. He had 5.2 yards per play on those last year. It includes all the negative plays from his sacks plus 11 yards per scramble, and it was 5.2 yards per play. There's nobody close to the, in the NFL, and I doubt there's anybody been close in NFL history because most of the great scrambling quarterbacks of all time have also taken a lot of sacks, Michael Vick, right. Russell Wilson, all those guys. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Belichick schemes this up this time because obviously they got ran all over last year, and, and really the – horizontal stretch, but also the vertical ability to get up the field with those gap runs uh, for the Ravens gave the Patriots all kinds of problems. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. I want to bring up one more point, just get, going back to the running game, because I mentioned it, the Patriots run defense has been a, a huge problem for them all year long. I'm actually pretty confident based off of the weapons that the Ravens have, that if the Patriots can get Baltimore into obvious passing situations, that they can control the game defensively that way. And they actually did last year in that matchup in Week 9 hold Lamar relatively in check when he did go to the air. I think he had something like 7.1 yards per attempt, which for him last year was below average, you know, well below average. So uh, they, they did a decent job of pass defense, and a lot of what they did was having Jonathan Jones, their defensive back, who's, you know, runs in the four twos, low four threes, he would spy Lamar in the box with man coverage with a post safety behind him. And it just allowed the Patriots to still play their typical bread and butter of man, but have somebody that was fast enough. And Jones is also a great special teamer as well. So a great open field tackler and used to making tackles in the open field. So that worked. But I think what most Patriots fans are going to be worried about with this game is the run defense and Last year, I mentioned those gap reads. I thought one of the coolest things that they did last year that I don't know if I've seen too often from a read option type of design was actually reading the defensive tackle on the play instead of the edge defender. They put Lawrence Guy in conflict a couple of times, and you got a 320-pound guy trying to decipher, do I go at the quarterback or the running back? That can be really difficult. But there is sort of a blueprint out there that slowed down this Ravens rushing attack maybe just a little bit. I think it kind of started with Cincinnati uh, all the way back then in the beginning of the season, and teams have sort of built on it from there. What have you seen be the most successful strategies against – the Ravens rushing attack and how have some teams been able to hold it down just a little bit? I mean, without a doubt, the, the major, major scheme to beat it is scrape exchanges on the outside that you're, that there's a, uh, you know, an inside player fills immediately on the outside. As soon as you have the, the pistol read is shown and, you know, that, that puts them in a difficult position, does weaken you in the middle of the field. So if you're, if you're able to move the defensive tackles, move the bodies you want in there, you have a better chance to, to get a big play there. But you have to be willing to do some other things too. And, and that often means pull the ball from the mesh and throw, which by the way, takes a lot longer to develop than I think people realize just how yeah. long it is. You really have to have your read ready. Reacquiring the field is more difficult for any quarterback, I think, but it has been for Lamar. 
And they really only did that three times the entire season last year. You know, you think of them as being, you know, this team that, oh, put the ball in the mesh, take it out, throw it, no problem. They did it twice against Miami for gains of 23 and 47 and one more time in week five against Pittsburgh. And that was incomplete. And that's it. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have to run that. What was sufficient was in the pistol, Lamar's two-handed ball fakes were just incredibly disruptive to opposing linebackers. All he had to do was kind of check the ball towards the mesh and, you know, they continue to, to, to move towards the football and, uh, and key on that running back. And then Lamar had a lot of play action opportunities. So they need to refine that. They need to refine that timing or maybe they need to find different um, schematic elements that will allow them to refine easy pitch and catch throws. And by the way, if you look at the second half of the Indianapolis game, they had a 32 to four streak of snaps where I think they did exactly that. So, you know, the hope here in Baltimore is the offense is back based on that second half. Got it. Yeah. It's going to be a really fascinating matchup. Patriots defense definitely not, uh, doesn't have the personnel right now, I don't think, to hold with this Baltimore offense, but I'm interested to see how Belichick kind of pieces it together, maybe put some more speed on the field with their defensive backs playing in the box. We've seen that strategy work at times, maybe not against this uh, late career, you know, later career Lamar, but early on in his career, teams like the Chargers had some success with that. So maybe that's where the Patriots go with it. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to hop over to the other side of the ball with Ken. NFL football continues on this week, which has a few surprise teams at the top of the standings. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. No matter how schedules change or players that play, Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere online. Head to Bet Online today and you take advantage of all the great midseason bonuses, offers, and contests. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, I'm back here with my guest, Ken McCusick of FilmStudyBaltimore.com. As you can tell, he knows his stuff about the Baltimore Ravens, and that's why he's here. And we're going to talk about this Ravens defense now, Ken. And this is a really fun defense to break down. Uh, Don Martindale. His pressure schemes are as exotic, as tricky, whatever adjective you want to use, as just about any team that I watch on tape, including the Patriots, uh, quite frankly. So I guess the biggest thing uh, with this defense is that they're obviously going to blitz you. They have one of the, I think, the second highest blitz rate in the league as of right now, over 42% of the time they blitz the quarterback. But a lot of it is also simulated pressures, right, where they're showing that they're going to bring a blitz, but it ends up only being four guys. But the line still has to decipher which of the seven guys on the line of scrimmage are going to be the four guys that are rushing. So a lot of, you know, bluff blitzing and kind of showing that you're going to bring the house and then backing off and trying to decipher post-snap how all of that is going to work. I wanted to start with their run defense, though. That's really been a very strong point of their team. But is there anything that you've seen them kind of be a little bit shaky against? I did notice that some of those young linebackers can be manipulated a little bit at the second level. Okay, so uh, lots to, lot to unpack there. So the, the, first of all, the Ravens have been historically just the hallmark of their defense has been the ability to stop the run in 11 personnel. And that's, of course, what most offensive coordinators try and do. But the Ravens have always had the great outside linebackers who could edge set the, the two big guys in the inside and, and quality inside linebackers behind them that could make plays. And they've they really had that – all the way up until about last year where they lost a lot of their edge-setting juice. And 
they still have the, had the big guys on the inside. They still really do this year, uh, with Brandon Williams really being the key figure there. They, they have some, uh, tackling ability in level two with Malik Harrison, who's a rookie. Uh, Patrick Queen has had some missed tackles this year. Uh, he is number 28 overall pick, of course, has a lot of problems in coverage, but also some missed tackles against the run. And, and that's kind of been a problem, but he's done, he's done so many, he's had so many big splash plays. He keeps, you know, being player of the week or have, you know, being on highlight reels, uh, that you'll see him regularly. Remarkable sideline to sideline speed. And one of the way to accumulate missed tackles is being able to run to the football really well <laughs> and then missing the tackle. So a lot of the, a lot of the time he's, uh, he's been involved in some of those. Uh, can he be manipulated? Absolutely. You don't even really have to manipulate him um, with bunch formations. He's just had tremendous failure to understand what his assignment is off the line of scrimmage. When you have any kind of crossing route, uh, uh, he forgets very, very frequently that he's in zone defense and not man and will pick up a man and just take him. Got it. Yeah. Now Patrick Quinn's a guy that a lot of Patriots fans remember from draft season, 28th overall, the Patriots obviously had the 23rd pick in the draft and certainly could use a line, a young linebacker right now. He's a little bit undersized for their typical you know, brand of linebacker. And I think that that's a big reason why they, they weren't as in on him as maybe people had expected. I, I just was watching them, you know, I, I often watch how teams do with pullers, right? Pulling guards, mm-hmm. pulling tackles, things like that. Cause that's the Patriots bread and butter, power, counter, you know, stuff like that. And I just noticed that the sometimes those second level guys can sort of be flowing in the wrong direction often, even just against like basic power, which shouldn't really be too hard. You're just, you know, pulling to the, to the puller, right? You're just flowing mm-hmm. to the puller, flowing to the ball. But uh, sometimes they, they've been out of position and it's a very good run defense. It's really the only way I, I really saw them get exposed at all. Mentioned some of the things on the edges, uh, maybe with misdirection and things like that too. Uh, how did, have you seen them? I know Jalen Hurts had a few sort of, you know, design quarterback plays and stuff like that, but how have you seen them defend those? when they have had the opportunities. I know they haven't played a ton of, you know, Cam-like quarterbacks this year. Yeah, so they, they played Russell Wilson last year, of course. Um, uh, they, they put him in a in a cage, and uh, Hurts uh, is with the Eagles. It's the, the, a guy, the guy I'm thinking of from the from Washington, and I'm forgetting, blanking on his name right now, Haskins. Haskins, um, yeah. So they put him in a box and, and basically allowed him to make his own mistakes. He didn't throw any interceptions in that game, but he also didn't have a, a, a the passing game was not effective. And that's, that's been one thing the Ravens have done the last two weeks against quarterbacks who get rid of the ball quickly. Just leave him in their cage and, and let them deal with the Star Wars trash compactor pressure. By the way, I always use that analogy. Young people don't understand it. Oh, I yeah. understand it. That's okay. Fine. So a, very slowly. I star on the back of my phone here. There you go. So it's very slowly and closing in and, and the, the quarterbacks can get very nervous in there. Uh, Deshaun Watson last year in particular was extremely vulnerable to that and they sacked him seven times. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting. I think they're going to throw all sorts of scheme at Newton. It won't yeah. be an easy game. The last two weeks with quick release quarterbacks, they totally backed off the dogs. So you saw that you said that they were second overall in blitz percentage. They've actually dropped the fourth now and they've had 31 and 24% the last two weeks, which is incredibly low for the Ravens for a blitz right. percentage, by the way, although it's probably pretty average for the NFL as a whole. Yeah, no, that's that's about where the Patriots are right now in terms of blitz percentages. That league average range about thirty percent, I think, or twenty-five to thirty percent. But the Ravens are a team that you just watch them and you can see that they want to come at the quarterback most of the time. 
and they want to be aggressive and they want to hunt. This is not a team that likes to sit back and just kind of let things happen and, and react to things. This is a, this is a come at you type of defense. I want to talk to you obviously about the blitzes for Cam as well. So he's had some ups and downs this year, I would say with handling blitzes. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's a brand new offense and brand new skill players around him. So when you handle a blitz and you want to get the ball out quickly against the blitz, you have to be on the same page as everybody around you in order to make that happen. But I think what Martindale is going to probably do is do a lot of those simulated pressures where he shows, you know, they're bringing the house, but they're actually only going to end up bringing four guys and that they're going to have to kind of figure it out after the snap and then also be for Cam, you know, he's going to have guys dropping into passing lanes that are probably going to be his normal hot routes or hot reads during in a blitz situation, you know, in the slant window or the crosser window or whatever the case may be. I, I guess the question is just, you know, where can you beat the blitz against Baltimore? Because really the only way that I saw it is if the quarterback gets the ball out really quickly like Roethlisberger did at times or Rivers did at times in those games. Or the alternative, other thing that I think that the Patriots will probably do a whole lot of is the screen game. Uh, we saw a couple of effective screens, uh, wide receiver screens from the Colts uh, to Pittman. And uh, also the Steelers, I think, only ran one running back screen that I saw to Connor, but it actually did go for a first down. So maybe that's a way to do it. I mentioned the quick passing game, obviously, is, is going to be a huge part of any blitz package, you know, beating a blitz package. But what have you seen that has been at all successful? There's so much to unpack there, but let's just kind of go through it because I've got about 10 responses saved up. But but the first thing is that, that yes, the last two weeks they basically sat back and the entire Colts offense was with Rivers was all generated on getting the ball to the outside. And uh, they had 14 of 15 completions, sorry, 14 completions in 15 passes behind the line of scrimmage. And as while that might seem like it's great and you're beating the defense and you're getting away from the blitz and, and it's, all that is true, it didn't end up being very useful. They threw for 5.4 yards per play. Uh, they, they went four of 16 on third and fourth down. The Ravens held them to 10 points for the game. Those aren't successful things. I heard it said last year that the Patriots no huddle was really working effectively for the Ravens because they strung together a few first downs. Well, it's a, it's a Martingale system if you're thinking about gambling relatively. Martingale system means you double your bet every time until you win one unit. Okay. And, and that's what it was basically is, is they kept doubling their bet until they lost it all on the, on the, uh, Humphrey, uh, return for the touchdown. So yeah. it's, it's really, you know, you can talk about trying to beat the Ravens. You can get away from the teeth of the Ravens defense very easily just by throwing the ball to the outside. The problem is it's just not all that productive in terms of, of a way to gain yardage against this team. And uh, that's why the defense has been so successful is they're, they're built back to front, very much like the New England teams uh, of the last few years, and they're extremely good at leveraging the value there. When you do – when you do get into level two and and uh, and you have a screen pass that works, you might still fumble it. And when they fumble it, they've been very effective at, at turning that into something. So, uh, you know, I think that that it's it's too easily stated what needs to be done against the Ravens defense. Let me respond to one other thing you said earlier about their mechanism for scheme, also in terms of the simulated pressures. I count three elements of deception in my regular charting of the games. The first is how often do they drop two plus from the line of scrimmage, which is one element. The second is how often do they blitz a player not not by five plus from off the line of scrimmage? Because that that's a big element of deception. And then the third is how often they stunt. 
And I think all elements are on the table for Newton. And the big, the big thing with the uh, simulated pressures is that they have two guys who are extremely good coverage linebackers in Judon and uh, Bowser. They're both free agents. I'm very concerned about what will happen after this year, but they're really the heart and soul of driving this pass rush because they don't have one-on-one winners. They really have guys who have to win with scheme, and, and there's – a, there's a, a need to do that. So anyway, Martindale's extremely scheme dependent. You're going to see tons of that. A lot of the elements of deception I just mentioned, I think will come up in this game in addition to occasional numbers. Yeah, I, I just love watching Martindale's scheme. This is what Belichick's scheme resembles, at least, when they, Belichick has the pieces to do it, right? You know, it takes a lot of experienced players to run a system like this. And we've seen it in the past here in New England last year, certainly, with those zero blitzes and some of these sim pressures that the Patriots also run that Baltimore runs are sim, kind of similar looks with the amoeba fronts and stuff like that. But now that the Patriots don't have the experience on the defense side of the ball, specifically in the front seven in their system, a lot of that has had to go away because they don't really have the chemistry or the ability to really do it. So it's great to watch a defense that has it again. You mentioned uh, Udon and Bowser and losing those guys in free agency. If I was a Patriots fan, I would write both of those names down right now because I yes. think those guys would fit extremely well. Uh, their needs here as kind of strong side edge defenders definitely would be in the in the conversation in free agency for New England. The last question I wanted to ask, well, uh, just one more point. The one thing you mentioned about throwing to the outside that I think is interesting is I, I w- was watching Jimmy Smith is a fantastic football player. He doesn't even play all the time, right? Because Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters take a lot of those snaps. But he, a lot of the time in that uh, Pittsburgh game and specifically, Ben tried to throw it to the outside, maybe on the backside of a read or something, and Jimmy Smith is just like all over it every single time, especially as a cover two corner. That guy's a really good football player for a long time that I don't think gets a lot of pub because he's not – you know, big name corner necessarily, but he's been doing it for a long time. But I wanted to talk to you about Humphrey as well. Uh, the Patriots said Jacoby Myers, I'm sure you heard about it on Monday night, had sort of a breakout game. He had 169 receiving yards against the Jets. This is going to be a good matchup. I think Humphrey is going to, he's going to be healthy, I think, right, for this game and is probably going to draw uh, Jacoby in coverage. Should be no of- shadowing, in my opinion. It'll be left cornerback, right cornerback. Peters is very comfortable on that shoulder, so I, I don't think they'll shadow Myers. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so, but Humphrey does play in the slot, correct? Um, okay, so Humphrey would play on the slot if they had three corners. They, they did this right. week acquire Tremont Williams. The ex-Green Bay corner is now 37, but was a pretty terrific slot corner last year still. So there's some question as to whether he would play slot or not. Jimmy Smith had been moved into this basically every down roll again as a, as a third cornerback even before Humphrey got hurt. Um, absolutely every down when Humphrey was, was, I'm sorry, on COVID. Um, uh, but they, but yes, they, they, uh, I, I, Jermon Williams might be a guy this week who sees snaps and might be a guy to cover him in the slot. Got it. Okay. Well, that would be a really interesting matchup to me because, listen, no offense to the Jets, but not exactly the best secondary in the NFL. So I'm really fascinated to see how Jacoby does against some really good corners and and Baltimore. This is If he can put up numbers against Humphrey and Peters and, and Williams and Smith in this group, then the Patriots might have something brewing here. Do, they, do the Patriots have anybody who's a fumbler among their receivers? A fumbler among their receivers. Well, Nick, 
if Nikhil Harry plays, he's had a fumble early on in the season where he was kind of reaching for the goal line and the ball came out early. But I wouldn't say that they have any guys that are obvious fumblers. Ryan, Ryan Izzo, their tight end, had a fumble. After he made a catch, he turned up field to run and got the ball punched out. But the Patriots receivers as a whole, I would say, I mean, obviously you know that they're they're very limited group in terms of talent, really, uh, in general. But I would say as a whole, the biggest thing with the Patriots receivers, that's the biggest issue I see right now, is is after the catch, is in yak mode, as I like to call it, because they don't have great awareness. Some of the guys like Myers are really quick and shifty and good route runners, but aren't necessarily, uh, you know, burners in the open field to create after the catch. Demir Bird is a burner, but he sort of gets lost at times with the ball in his hands. So if you're looking for guys with poor awareness or just kind of struggling in that phase of the game after they make the catch, then this group did show some issues even against the Jets of sort of just being tentative and not exactly knowing where to go. Okay. All right. Interesting. So I, the one thing I'm expecting is because I, I expect a lot of 21 personnel from the Patriots in this yeah. game. The wealth, the wealth for the, the offense, in addition to the line, which is just terrific, are those two, those extra running backs they have, the ability to pony up or play with a fullback either way. And the Ravens, frankly, almost never play base defense anymore. They only do it when the opponents put in a sixth offensive lineman or in some 12 personnel, but they hardly ever get to play their base defense. And this will be a game they, they'll probably get to play some three down linemen and it's just very unusual. Yeah, absolutely. 21 personnel dominated really the second half of last week's game against the Jets. They were in it about 55% of the time overall. They do play a decent amount of 11 still sprinkled in there, but 21 is their foundation in New England. That's their base formation you come out on first down, the first play of the game, it's almost always 21 unless they're trying to, you know, do something different to throw the defense off that give them something that they're not expecting. But ultimately their identity for really since the 2018 season uh, with uh, Brady winning his last Super Bowl was James Devlin in the I formation or the strong eye in, in the 21 personnel. And that's sort of been their offense with, power running game with 21 and then play action off of that, you know, from under center. Cam has looked a lot more comfortable, I would say, last week with under center play action. It was definitely something that wasn't a strength of his. He hasn't done it all that much, I'm sure, throughout his entire football career. I mean, I can't imagine they ran any under center play action with him at Auburn, uh, for example. And, and I know it wasn't a huge part of his Carolina offense. So I'm interested to see how he continues to develop in that regard because it it's difficult when you've never done it to – you know, turn your back to the defense, yes. then get your eyes back up field, survey, and make a decision in enough time for, you know, they prevent those linebackers or those safeties from getting back into their zones or whatever after they fill the run. So it, it was a problem for him early on in the season. I thought they probably should have gotten away from it a little bit at times until he practiced it a little bit more and was more comfortable with it. But I think in this matchup, there are going to be opportunities with play action to kind of manipulate that second level, which maybe they can create some plays down the field that way. The one last thing I, I really loved, uh, you know, made me think of this was, you know, the Patriots play a ton of cover one. Also the Ravens play a ton of cover one too, but they play a very different brand of cover one. I would say than the Patriots do where they rotate that safety into the box. And usually sometimes not always, I mean, just the reps I was watching instead of the safety playing a robber role, he usually comes down and takes the tight end when somebody else is blitzing and they have one of the linebackers kind of in the low hole or the robber role over the middle of the field. 
that seemed to give the Steelers some problems a couple of different times. I, I just love the idea of being a little bit more aggressive in that respect out of cover one, whereas with the Patriots, it's mostly just rotating the other safety to the robber, and then you have, you know, the linebackers covering the running backs and the out of the backfield, things like that, and not really pressuring the quarterback like Baltimore does. I mean, is that something that they do regularly with the safety taking the tight end? Yeah, they, they can, they can, they definitely can, and, and it really goes back to the point I made about having two Sam linebackers on the field at the same time. Two guys they really trust to cover, Judon and Bowser. Bowser, one of the best coverage linebackers, outside linebackers there is, and having either of those guys be able to drop is just a lot of additional value. By the way, Judon taking a ton of heat, earning franchise tag money, not having a big pass rush year so far this year, but he's been a terrific cover guy, and his yeah. overall contribution to the defense is not really measured accurately by those pressure stats. Yeah, it's funny because I, when you watch a team that you're not, you know, a reporter for or a fan of, you often come away with different takeaways than the fan base because the fan base can sometimes get frustrated with, you know, where a player was drafted or where a play, what a player is making or whatever the case may be. I, I thought that three or four games I watched, I thought Hudon played extremely well in all of them and is a player that the Patriots are going to have to uh, worry about in circle, I, I think, for sure. So it's a it's an interesting point. Ken, is there anything that you want to plug at this point of the show and uh, where people can find you on Twitter or listen to your podcast or anything like that? Sure. It's at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow. I always uh, always – Respond back. Don't be shy about tagging me with material if you want to do that. Uh, love to hear from you. And filmstudybaltimore.com is the site. And the, the big key elements there are a, a weekly defense and offense piece that dr- drills way down into uh, what scheme and what packages do they play and then offensive line block-by-block block scoring. Well, that sounds exactly up the alley of people that listen to me on this podcast. So make sure you go and check that out uh, every week, but also especially this week after this Baltimore game. It would be really interesting to read Ken's stuff to see what he has to say about the game. For us on CLNSmedia.com, my Patriots game plan for this game will be up on Friday. It's probably when most of you will be listening to this. So go ahead and check that out. A lot more examples, film examples of what exactly me and Ken were just talking about. We'll be at the game on Sunday night back here at Gillette Stadium. So get to go to this one. It's going to be a really great game. I don't know if the Patriots have the horses right now to hang with a team that's as well coached and has a great personnel like Baltimore does, but it's always fun to watch Belichick versus Harbaugh because this is truly, I think, for my money, the two of the best coaches in the NFL. Obviously, we know Belichick belongs there. Harbaugh, I think, is not too far behind. It's, you know, Belichick, Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan. That's probably, like, that top tier. So it's going to be really awesome to watch the game on Sunday. Ken, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, We'll definitely do it again if uh, these two teams meet again, maybe not in the postseason this year in in New England, but uh, maybe in the future next season. Absolute pleasure, Evan. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk football with somebody who really knows his stuff. Thanks, Ken, and we'll definitely have you on again soon. For all you listening, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back on the podcast next week.